friends! Welcome to Name That Voice, a podcast where we discuss all things voiceover, from history and drama to trending hot topics and the lives of some of your favorite voice actors. I am your host, Carrie Favel, and I am so grateful that you've decided to spend some time with me. If you haven't already, please watch our previous episode where we discussed how voiceover began. And welcome to yet another episode of our series where today we will talk about the major people who helped shape the voiceover industry. Please like, comment, and subscribe for more content. Sorry if I sound a little stuffy. I actually have COVID right now, and so um, I, I apologize. I'm, I'm doing my best. Snow White and the Seven Dwarves is probably one of the first cartoon movies we've all watched as children. If you haven't, then have you even had a childhood? (laughs) I'm just kidding, but you really should. Disney's movies have gotten remakes every decade or so, but in today's episode, we are discussing the history of voiceover, so we will only discuss the 1937 version of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Premiering in Hollywood on the 21st of December 1937, many people believed that it would flop, having low expectations for the animated film. You see, they believed that it was mainly suitable only for children and that the premiere would not even be able to hold adults' attention and have them sit through over an hour for it. Disney took the risk despite the criticism it received. Snow White did exceptionally well with a film budget of $1.5 million and grossed $8 million within two months. That was also during the Great Depression and was the most money made by any film until that time. The voice actress for Snow White was Adriana Casalotti, who at the time was only 18 years old and she was chosen amongst about 150 other auditioners, including Deanna Durbin, who was a famous actress at that time. Miss Casalotti had no idea what her lines were even for. She was only told that her lines would be longer than the shorts that have previously been released, which she figured would be longer than 20 minutes, but she didn't really know anything else. And she was only paid $20 a day. In an interview, she said, I didn't realize what had happened. Until I went to the premiere, I saw all these movie stars. Marlene Dietrich, Carol Lombard, Gary Cooper. Everybody was there. I discovered this thing was an hour and 23 minutes. Shortly after, she had a career in opera, then real estate, and the stock market, and even played a part in The Wizard of Oz. And finally, she published her own book on the topic of singing. Almost a year after the release of Disney's Snow White in 1937, the infamous War of the Worlds broadcast was aired on the CBS radio network. Hours before it aired on October 30th, 1938, tensions arose as the radio series The Mercury Theater on Air was on a thin wire, and someone had to come up with a way to save it. Orson Welles then decided to take a creative approach to the radio series, with the Halloween episode being almost an immersive episode. He decided to make his own adaptation of the novel The War of the Worlds by H.G. Wells, which was initially set in southern England. 
Instead of the aliens invading England, Orson Welles' adaptation had the aliens invade New Jersey. And with the help of his team, they were able to produce a very horrifying show that terrified most of their listeners. And many had sent threatening letters to Welles for the scare. It was claimed that Wells had no intention of such a scare, and he had no idea of the consequences until the next day. At a press conference the following day, he denied all of the claims of the intentions to fool his audience. But after this situation had turned for the better for him and actually gave him fame, he then later admitted that he hoped to fool his listeners, and he wanted to teach them a lesson on to not believe everything on the radio. The people who worked with him on the broadcast continued to deny the claims over and over. Honestly, what a wicked way to gain fame. What do you guys think? Did he really deserve to become a celebrity after this? Personally, he did give a disclaimer at the beginning, but that went unnoticed by the majority of the listening population. And while that is a good lesson to teach people not to always believe what they hear, if you're listening to, like, the news or the radio and you're expecting it to be truthful and tell you, like, the news and current events... It's kind of not fair to say, hey, also don't listen to this and don't trust us, so. Fast forward 19 years. Hanna-Barbera, a popular American studio, was formed. It was founded by William Hanna and Joseph Barbera. And before the times of basic cable, most children watched very few channels available on TV at the time. Those channels included cartoons from Hanna-Barbera, and to this day, the cartoons are still popular. You may not be able to tell what cartoons they made, but I assure you know at least one of them. Some of their most popular cartoons included Scooby-Doo, Johnny Quest, The Flintstones, The Smurfs, and many more. The founders were partners since their time as animators in the MGM studio with the creation of Tom and Jerry. They later left when the company stopped making animated films, and they went on to start Hanna-Barbera, where they released The Huckleberry Hound Show in 1958, succeeding almost instantly as the cartoon also won an Emmy Award in 1960 for outstanding achievement in the field of children's programming. It was actually the first television cartoon to achieve this. A fun fact about the Flintstones is that it was the first animated show to have 166 original episodes, and it aired on ABC TV. It aired on primetime, which is defined as the time when most people are watching television, hence gaining the most viewership. The Flintstones has been touted as the predecessors to The Simpsons, which is one of the most iconic voiceover examples to use when explaining the career. The Simpsons is the longest-running American primetime TV series, animated series, and sitcom. It had its first episode air in 1989 and is still releasing new episodes in 2023. The series is loved and is still watched by many. And not a lot of people know, but the character Bart Simpson is actually voiced by a 65-year-old woman, Nancy Cartwright. The voice actress for Bart Simpson actually auditioned for the role of Lisa Simpson, but she thought that Lisa was the older sister. However, to her surprise, when she arrived for the audition, she found out Bart was older and Lisa was the younger sibling. So she then auditioned for the role of Bart Simpson, for which she was given the job on the spot. 
Nancy also has a really great social media presence these days as well. So she'll like go into like a yogurt shop and she'll order in Bart's voice and people will be like, like it mind blown. So uh, I definitely uh, suggest you guys go watch some of her stuff. She's an amazing woman. Dan Castellaneta is another actor whom I ramble on about, but I'll just say he's best known as the voice of Homer Simpson and a little lesser known for voicing the genie from Disney's Aladdin in the TV series as well as the second movie installation. We've discussed the making and performance of animated films. It's time we have a tiny dip into the marketing of animated films and normal films. Don't worry, it's not going to be boring like you're sitting through a business class. This will be interesting, I promise. Movie directors often use trailers to market their films. A trailer is somewhat of a snippet or clips of the movie put together to build hype for the movie. It usually does not contain spoilers. The voice behind the trailers also played an important part in voiceover history, with the most famous and probably the biggest trailer voice, Don LaFontaine. Doesn't ring a bell? How about the phrase, in a world? Yep, he's the voice behind those trailers. And since then, he's voiced thousands of movie trailers and was one of the busiest voiceover talents in history. Don has since passed away and it really shook the voiceover industry. Another strong figure in voice acting is Mel Blanc, whom we will get to in detail in the next episode. For now, we can take a brief look at another studio giant in the animation industry, Warner Brothers Cartoon Inc. Warner Brothers was founded in 1933, operating for 30 years before closing down in 1963. It is the animated branch of the parent company, Warner Bros. One of their most famous releases was Looney Tunes in 1930, when the company was known by the name Leon Schlesinger Productions. Looney Tunes was a comedy short film that included the cartoon characters Bugs Bunny, Daffy Duck, and Porky Pig. Looney Tunes premiered in black and white, but later changed to color after it gained popularity. Before I sign off, here is a bonus fact for this episode. A lot of people believed that Looney Tunes was spelled Looney Tunes, T-O-O-N-S. This phenomenon where a large collection of people have a false memory about an event is known as the Mandela Effect. Were you one of these people? It's actually spelled Looney Tunes, T-U-N-E-S. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Name That Voice. All source material will be listed in the description down below, as well as the show notes of the podcast, should you wish to go down this rabbit hole on your own. If you have any requests for research topics, please let me know in the comments down below. As always, thank you for watching. Remember that you are loved, you are worthy, and whatever you are struggling with today will pass. Until next time, stay crazy! Stay crazy!